We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast, the 100th episode of the Debated Podcast. I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. And hello. In, hello. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing what has changed since we started the podcast and what we think will uh, change in the future. So, as to begin with, um, what do you think has changed since we started the podcast? Well, I think it'd be a short list to say what hasn't changed. I think. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I mean, so much has changed since we started um, back in 2019. Mm-hmm. So we just had the local elections. We had Theresa May as prime minister. Um, we had Brexit was uncertain whether it would happen or not at that stage the deal had been rejected a few times <laughs> at that point um yeah so we've seen brexit um we've seen boris johnson winning a big majority yeah. over in america we've seen donald trump lose his re-election bid which is maybe a change in the other direction <laughs> towards maybe a more traditional kind of politics um, away from the more chaotic, le- less predictable Donald Trump era. Though obviously he's not going to go away, I don't think. I think he's still going to be a, a fixture of politics, even if he's not president. Um, I mean, he's certainly not admitted defeat yet. So that's changed. And obviously the, the C word, coronavirus, has made has, has obviously changed everyone's lives and changed politics as well. Mm. Do you think that when we started that we could have uh, anticipated the amount of change that was going to happen by the time we got to 100? Well, I, I guess a, a lot had changed already in like the few years before that, obviously with the vote for Brexit, the vote for Trump in America, and um, you know David Cameron stepping down, that sort of era of politics. It, it was a more chaotic time, so I think you... You could have predicted maybe a lot would change, but maybe not quite as much as actually did. Um, that's even more than maybe anyone would have expected. Yeah, and it seems weird, doesn't it, that when we started the first episode that we ever did was with um, Alistair Carmichael. And um, in that episode, you know, we talked to him about how well the Lib Dems seem to be doing, you know, with the local elections and the um, European elections were just about to um, arrive, of course, which they did very well. Uh, in as well. The political system is going to have to find a way of working out how you can accommodate these range of views without corralling people anymore into two big parties. And for us, again, as Liberals and as Liberal Democrats, that's a tremendous opportunity. And that's the one that we've really got to seize this time. And then looking at the Lib Dems now, they don't seem uh, <laughs> nearly as... Um as buoyant as they did then, do they? No, I think that's um, down to one factor, and that's Keir Starmer, really, because as as he's sort of a more sort of, maybe not in policy-wise, more moderate, but in terms of his style of politics and his presentability, he seems, he's a more appealing face for those sort of, I guess those middle-class voters who sort of went towards the Lib Dems from Labour. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in, in our first um, dozen episodes, Brexit was something that we really talked about. And 
really, I don't think this year we've talked as much about Brexit. I mean, we have talked about it a bit. Do you think that we're going to be talking about it uh, much more come January? Do you think that with whether we get a deal or no deal, it's going to still be on the on the horizon? It's it's funny because um, obviously it was, it was a couple of weeks ago when it was. Um, some news came out about Brexit negotiations sort of, and the talks. And I, because it was, this was just after the US elections, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that British politics still existed and <laughs> Brexit was still a thing. Because I guess it's so easy to get distracted by everything else that's happening. You forget that Brexit has been rumbling along and we've got the um, negotiations on the trade deal that seem to be moving slowly in the right direction, but whether there's enough time, I mean, we've only got just over a, a month now until the end of the transition period and it's not going to be extended. I can think yeah. that's one thing I, I will predict is that, <laughs> that it's going to end no matter what. So, yeah, it's, um, I'm not sure whether we'll get a deal or not, actually. Um, that's one thing. I, I won't predict whether, whether <laughs> what, how we'll leave. I'll predict that we will, but not exactly whether it'll be a deal or not. But, um, I mean, today we've just seen, um, when we're recording this, uh, we've got a rollover deal with Canada. So at least that's, we've got one deal, if, if it's not with EU. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Um, I mean, thinking back to when we started, the Brexit party were very much prominent and on the scene. In fact, um, the second person that we ever uh, did a podcast with was a, a Brexit party uh, MEP uh, candidate. And it's not just um, that the EU is distant, like physically, it's um, understanding that institutionally it's so bound up that our, that, you know, our ruling, the people that rule us would rather seek their legitimacy and look for consent not to not to their own populations, but to their pals, you know, in in in, in other nations. And the Brexit Party will probably not be as significant in uh, the coming years, but Nigel Farage probably will be. I mean, what do you think is going to be the significance of him going forward in politics? Well, it's interesting because he's obviously got a big following on mm. as, as as an individual. Um, and that's how he could make the Brexit by basically from scratch to win a national election, you know, in a space of a couple of months. Mm. Um, you know, no other figure in politics could really do that. Um, that's Nigel Farage himself who brought that round. It was and, and the fact it was a single issue party on leaving the EU at the time. That's what sort of allowed sort of leavers to gather around it for the European elections. Obviously, when it came to the general election, there's change of leadership Boris had a deal with the EU that would that was at least acceptable if not ideal for most Eurosceptics and even Nigel Farage accepted that that's why he stepped down in most in all conservative health seats and there was a few other seats where they they weren't standing um, and that kind of took the wind out of their sails and didn't do great in the general election um, although I guess by the fact Boris Johnson won and was able to leave the EU Maybe it was overall good for the Eurosceptic cause, if not for the party itself. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they rebrand, because um, obviously he's going on the lockdown, anti-lockdown yeah. message now. Um, he he flirted a bit with the channel migrant stuff, which he did a few videos in, on YouTube on that got a lot of views. Um, but he seems to be focusing on anti-lockdown as his new message for his, his 
the, the renamed party, which is going to be Reform UK. I'm not sure about that name. It sounds too <laughs> reminiscent of Change UK, which is which still existed when we started mm, and, yeah. and, and, and doesn't anymore. It's, it's completely wrapped up that now. Um, I think maybe the Freedom Party or something like that would have maybe been a better name, especially going on with the lockdown theme. I'm not sure whether I think Farage obviously is still always going to be an, an interesting figure and someone who people yeah. are going to look at to see what he's thinking on each issue. And he's all, I think he's always going to be a, like a figure in politics, but he, in terms of like a party winning seats in the same way that UKIP and the Brexit party did, um, obviously they didn't win seats in national parliaments, but they gained votes and won them in the European elections. I don't think that this lockdown party will really live up to that because I think the, the, the problem is twofold, really. Sec- firstly, it's, it's only really relevant until coronavirus is yeah. still existing. And, and it, you know, we've got good vaccine news. If by yeah. a few months' time it's all back to normal, then what's that? Then that's not, it's not really a message to start a brand new party on for 2024. Yeah. Um, and the second one is the group of people who are most skeptical of lockdowns are younger people, which, and the, most, the group who are most in favour are older people. Traditionally, Nigel Farage has appealed to older voters, mm. so and young people haven't really liked him. So it's it's kind of going against the grain of what his previous support base was. So I don't yeah. know how much of that will carry over if he can maybe win older voters round to being a sort of sceptical of lockdowns, or if he can convince younger voters that he's not an evil racist. <laughs> That's the, I guess it's, you've got to do one one or two, if not both of those. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, Change UK still existed when we started and it doesn't now. When we started, there seemed to be just um, a complete and utter, you know, fracturing of politics. And like we mentioned, the Lib Dems and the Brexit Party. And things seem to have, um, just in terms of like the usual two-party uh, state that we normally have with the uh, Conservative Party and Labour Party, seems things seem to have gone back to normal. I mean, how long do you think that this is going to stay? Do you think that there is any possibility of any more um, splinter parties emerging that actually have some sort of like resonance or, or relevance across the country? It's funny because, I mean, after the 2017 election, everyone was saying, yeah, two-party politics are back, they're here to stay, because the amount of votes that you know Corbyn and May won together was the yeah. highest in years that the two parties had won. Um and then we then we saw 2019 with the after the European elections and there was about a four way tie between Labour, Tories, Brexit Party and Lib Dems. Everyone on about 25 percent. And then the actual general election rolled around and all the other smaller parties flopped a bit. Yeah. Um. And now we're back at about sort of similar 2017 levels of support between the two parties. So I think you can never say that it won't happen. I think. At the moment, it is, does seem quite sort of polarising that people will be Labour or Tory, but both parties have got rifts. You know, Boris Johnson, you know, get, you know sacking Cummings and mm. stuff. He's, he's lost some of his popularity with Conservative voters. On the other hand, Keir Starmer, with all the stuff that's going on with Jeremy Corbyn, spinning in from the party, he's still got a loyal base, yeah. talking about challenges from Ian Lavery and things like that. Whether that will manifest in that way, I don't know. But um, I think 
you know, there is now space to the left of Labour for a party, whether one would actually spring up, because traditionally they have, those kind of people have seen their best way is to work through Labour Party and play the long game and try and win it back. So I, I'm not sure whether you would get a left of Labour sort of fringe party come up, but there is space on the political compass for it now, I think. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, as we've mentioned uh, before, you know, what's happened with um, Trump in the US has obviously uh, caused a great deal of uh, divisions there. And when we started, it did seem that there was, you know, a a strong possibility that he might be uh, re-elected. And of course, now he's um, lost and we're going to be seeing a a Biden administration. What do you think, like the relationship between um, the UK and the US is going to be like in the next year four year period given that we have this shift in the dynamic because i mean nobody can really sort of like say that trump and uh boris didn't get on fairly well they seem to get on fairly well i don't think you can say the same of um boris and joe biden well they've not really had a chance to meet really i don't mm. think they've they've ever met they've had a one phone call now mm. um and It'll be interesting to see where they find common ground. It's interesting to say about Trump looked like he was going to be re-elected. I think if it hadn't been for coronavirus, you can, I think it's pretty safe to say he would have been re-elected. I think his response to coronavirus, you know, did push over. Because he did only, because I mean, although, you know, he, he, did, he lost by a fair bit in some states, mm-hmm. it, was, it would only be like one or two point shift would be needed to get him re-elected yeah. due to the Electoral College. So I think he would have won if it hadn't been for coronavirus. Then um, that would be in a very different sort of scenario because he did a lot better than a lot of people expected and the polls suggested. Um, I think it will be interesting to see what happens with Biden because he's obviously very, he's, he's a very establishment traditional politician he's you know he's he's not going to be tweeting mad (laughs) things and you know stuff like that that's gonna inflame stuff but also i mean i'm not a supporter of his kind of um sort of politics Mm. so i'm not i'm not i'm not sure just what kind of impact is going to have on the on the world stage really because i mean he was he was always you know had a foreign policy aspect and he was chair of the senate foreign policy committee when he was in the senate but um well i hope he doesn't go back to obama style foreign policy because i don't think that was a great success but it'll be interesting to see um i think in terms of relationship with britain i think boris is probably at heart closer to joe biden than he is to trump i think mm. I think he, because I mean, they're, they're both sort of small L liberals, um, both concerned with like climate change and stuff like that. I think the Boris Trump being similar thing was, there, obviously there is similarities to yeah. their appeal and the voters they won over for the first time with Brexit. But in terms of their actual, as individuals, I think they are probably closer between Biden and Boris than it is between Trump and Boris. Um because, I mean, yeah, Joe Biden's not like a far-left Democrat. He mm. is, he's, yes, he's going to have to appeal to those people because that's a lot of his um, support base now, yeah. but that's not where he's ever been himself as a, as a, as a personality. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think it's just going to have to wait and see. But also with the, the Irish connection, obviously Joe mm. Biden is um, from Irish stock. Yeah. Um, and obviously the Irish border is going to be an issue with whether we get a deal or not. 
with with the EU, and uh, he has criticised Brexit before. So I don't think he would, as president, put his nose in too much. I hope not. But we'll, I guess it's just something we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we will. Um, just thinking back over the um, the time that we've done uh, the podcast, I know there have been particular moments that I think we've both um, enjoyed and, and, and speaking to people that we've um, uh, both particularly enjoyed. I know that we both um, enjoyed doing the uh, the 2019 election debate with uh, Emily Hewitson and George Aylett. That was a, a very interesting uh, discussion debate. But I mean, is is that would you say that was your sort of like favourite moment of recording the podcast, or what kind of moments particularly spring to you from from doing it? Particular guests or particular conversations that you think were interesting or that you really remember? Yeah, so that certainly was a fun one, and I'd, I'd never moderated a debate before, so it was it was an interesting new thing. But it was interesting to sort of see them um, hear hear what hear what they had to say and sort of so you can hear the sizes and the big issues in the election yeah and it's a bit more grassroots than just hearing what the politicians have to say these are mm. like activists and and uh, members what the, what that what their sort of takes on the election was which is quite interesting i i believe in you know equality of opportunity and i think uh leaving the eu will actually bring that for you know all immigrants rather than just prioritizing those uh that live within the eu do you want to expand free movement of people then? Because that's surely the sensible option. No, no, absolutely not. I think I think um, part of leaving the EU is to have a level of control over our borders. And I think the most feasible, realistic, and pragmatic solution is um, an immigrant uh, in, is a uh, points-based system where we can, you know, get in the workers that we need. And I think that's the fairest way to put everyone on the same. Uh, like on a level field uh, a level field and instead of prioritizing eu citizens you know give, giving eu citizens priority just because of their nationality it's absolutely absurd we get called xenophobic for you know wanting um, wanting control over our borders but i think it's rather than xenophobic to say oh if you're an eu national then it's easier for you to come to the uk solution to that is to expand free movement of people so you it's give that feasible. right to more people from no of course it's feasible just... um obviously we've we have made the news before so um <laughs> when paul we had paul sweeney on and he yeah. said that he would consider supporting a ken clark led government of national unity which again does that, that sounds crazy now like <laughs> <laughs> how, how ridiculous was that when that was the thing that was discussed but um yeah, and that obviously was brought in Guido Fawkes and um, the Independent. So that was quite um, quite nice, sort of getting sort of you know actually sort of break a news story in that way. And so. um, you speak about sort of not them not being willing to compromise to have no deal Brexit, but looking at it on the other side, would you be willing to support someone like Ken Clark or Harriet Harman, ones that have been suggested? If if it was clear that they they were very close to for, forming a majority, I don't personally think they would. But let's say that did um, that was the situation. Yeah, um, but uh, they, like you say, I just don't see how practical that proposition is. I think um, the idea that you'd be able to have some sort of how, would you, how on earth would you even begin to test that without having a series of runoff votes in Parliament to see who what random backbencher could command the majority? You know, it's bizarre. Um, 
there's no hard and fast way of proving that they were able to command the majority of MPs, you know, which is why I think it was ridiculous to rule out of hand the opportunity for Jeremy Corbyn to do that to the opposition. Um, I mean, if, if Jeremy was unsuccessful, then I think we'd need to be open-minded about if someone had the chance to do it as a, as a neutral figure um, or any figure, really, that could command that majority. Then we'd need to seriously consider it. I would be ruling it out um, and I'd be open-minded to looking at that. Um, Dominic Frisby, we had him on. He was quite an interesting guest. Um, obviously, he's, he's comedian, um, libertarian activist, and um, someone who who had his eyes on a number one hit. Didn't quite make it with um, a, a certain song <laughs> with a with a rude word in it. Seventeen million something. You know, obviously, with uh, comedy songs, you have to sort of disguise it a little bit. If you just start going f off, f off, f off, it, it, it's not that funny. And so we had this idea of this sort of long choral, quite mournful opening, which would just be completely under, um, under my, undercut by the word F off at the end of it. I think overall, yeah, there's been a, there's been a lot of um, really interesting people that we've, we've had on and a lot of dis- interesting discussions and debates. Mm. And, you know, we're at the, this is the 100th episode. We're obviously hoping to do this for a bit <laughs> of a longer uh, stretch uh, yeah, what do you think is going to have happened by the time we reach another 100 episodes? What do you think will have changed? Well, I mean, who knows? <laughs> it, you know, like, again, it's so unpredictable these days. Um, I think, um, I mean, so it's going to be another, so let's say it's another year and a half. Yeah. What's it going to be like then? Hopefully, there's no coronavirus, and that's <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. that's that's long in the past, and rather than it being sort of the impending thing it is now. Hmm. But um, it'd be interesting to see actually what sort of society, how it rebuilds, what will go fully back to normal, what doesn't. Um, I think working from home, which a lot of us have been doing, hmm. is going to become, you know, not necessarily the norm for everyone, but I think it's going to be more and more common now. People have got used to it, and it's 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 the um you know it's become sort of more prevalent i think that will that will um might it might not go for you know i think people might be doing like half a week in the office half a week at home something like that um which will obviously make a big difference in politics and it's how people deal with that i think it might be a bit more i'm I'm, I'm predicting things like this but it might be more (laughs) of a stable time Because well, again, once you've once you've left the you know you've got you know majority government with a large majority here, America will have a you know a president who's more sort of standard mm-hmm. in terms of what they usually are. Um, I'm not sure where. I mean, obviously there could be instability still in the Middle East, and that's always seems to be going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're leading up to the there's the French election 2022. Yeah. I think Macron will probably get re-elected in that. Um, from uh, how it stands now, um, he seems to have been um, quite um, good at sort of unifying France, I think, in terms of his and trying to sort of have this French identity, which was a, a lot of people will sort of think, oh, he's pro EU and that's all they see from him. But yeah. I, I, I think there's more to him than that. And I think he's done a decent job. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the US midterms, which obviously, I mean, we'll start leading up to those basically as soon as yeah. this election finishes. Um, 
it's the I think I mean it's quite a good Senate map for Republicans, and I think mm. if they don't retain control now, which I think they probably will, if they win the Georgia runoffs, then I think they will get, regain it or expand their majority next time, and probably win the House back after their gains this time. Mm. So it will be interesting to see how Joe Biden deals with a, a fully Republican Congress and see what he can get through after that. Well, I think there are all things that we're going to uh, look forward to. Uh, thank you for listening to this uh, little 100th episode uh, celebration. Hopefully you'll listen to the uh, the next 100 if you've not got too bored with us already. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you listen to the next one. (laughs) 